All right. Okay. So tonight we're carrying on in our series on disciple. We're called disciple, what it means to follow Jesus in our day. And tonight, um, there's a couple of announcements, and we thought we'd uh, um, link it to the subject of leadership. Um, because if you've been journeying with us as a church for a while, um, maybe over the last two years at least, you would know that we have sent two of our pastors or two of our pastoral families uh, out to lead, oops, lead and strengthen um, or plant a new church and then to strengthen a new church to go continue ministry somewhere else. So they were very embedded in this community. We love them dearly. And what did we do? We sent them away, you know? And so maybe um, you're not familiar with that philosophy of leadership. Um, and you might think, you know, what's, what's the plan? Like if we keep sending people away, like what happens to us back here? And so... Um, I want to share a little bit of that strategy with you tonight. I mean, we were four elders, four pastors, and now we're down two. Um, and so, you know, what, did, what, what are we planning to do? And, and again, if you're a guest here, or you've been journeying with us for a short amount of time, you might not have context for that kind of leadership philosophy. So I did a little bit of a New Testament survey just as I um, prepared for today's message, just looking uh, at the New Testament through the lenses of leadership uh, to help me prepare for what I want to say. And it's quite striking in the Scriptures that as the gospel increased, as we even sang about that, you know, Jesus ascended into heaven after he was raised from the dead, and then the Spirit lit the flame as we sang about it, and then the gospel went out, and it's still going out. 2,000 years later, people are still coming to faith. Churches are still being planted. The kingdom of God is still being advanced. advanced. And so leadership had to accommodate. If Jesus started with 12 leaders, there was no way that they could, first of all, be everywhere all at once and certainly not be alive for 2,000 years to continue the work. They, they needed to hand over. They needed to, to, to train and to raise up. New leaders needed to be risen up. And so it does make sense logically if you think about it. But if you just read practically in the scriptures, there is this obvious trend that as the kingdom advanced, um, and spread out that leadership multiplied. And so that's obviously one of the most obvious reasons why we are very comfortable with raising and sending leaders out. I was reminded of the, of the clash song as I was um, preparing. I was like, this song is stuck in my head. You know, should I stay or should I go? -na -na -na. You, know, you know, and I love the one line where it says, if I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay there, will be double. Yeah, here we go. Some of you are dating yourselves right now. Um, and, and, you know, when you're following Jesus, I think that's one of the most amazing uh, realities of Jesus being that king. I mean, the songs just were so brilliant today, um, Brian. You just chose them so well. Jesus, lead us on. Take us humbly onward. That's actually a song that's written out of our movement of churches, advanced movement, movement, which is a planting and strengthening movement. This is what we do, friends, our family of churches. And so songs like that, we just go, absolutely. When Jesus leads us on, there's a sense that we sing to the Lord, should I stay or should I go now? And we sing, Lord, is it okay? If I stay, will there be trouble? Or if I go, will there be double? Or if I stay, will there be double? Or if I go, will there be trouble? Because what do you want me to do? Because it seems like this is what you do with people whose hands are up saying, yeah, I follow Jesus. And you know, you might sit here today and you go, oh, I'm not a leader. 
actually, we're all called to lead by example, most certainly. We're all called to lead others to Jesus. The softball team is not just for softball, hey? It's so that we could introduce people to the claims and teachings of Jesus. That's what Michael Credo shared. It's like it's one of our ministries. Because we're all leading. Whether you're swinging a bat or cracking open the scriptures in front of the church, we're all leading. We should just settle that, right? And so, you know, as I went through, I thought... You know, there's a couple of examples of should I stay or should I go. The first one we see uh, in the New Testament, I just want to pick on a guy called Philip, and this is go and stay. So next slide there, Liam. Uh, Go then stay. That's the the first one. So Philip is a guy that is chosen as kind of the first deacons in the Scriptures. Um, So the apostles at that stage were weighed down with the practical demands of a growing church, and so they chose men from among them, And Philip was one of the guys, and many believe that these were the first deacons because the apostles acted as the first elders, the first pastors of the church in Jerusalem. And so you see, you know, Philip is a bit of an evangelist, clearly. And so um, we read between chapter 6 and chapter 8 of Acts what he ends up doing. The church gets scattered uh, from Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria as a result. There's persecution in Jerusalem. And then, you know, he leads some people to the Lord, and then he ends up in a place called Caesarea um, at the end of chapter 8, and then he drops off the map. So, you know, he he was in Jerusalem, and then he was sent out to Caesarea, and then we see in Acts chapter 20, he pops up again. This time, he's got daughters who are prophesying, and he's still in Caesarea, okay? So that's the first one. It's like, It's actually the other way around. I think I swapped him around. It's like stay in Jerusalem, but then God sends him. Or actually, it's the other way. Go from Jerusalem. Yeah, you're right. I got it right. I got it right. Trust trust myself. Go from Jerusalem and stay in Caesarea. Okay, so that's the first one. And then we keep reading. Because not everybody settled. Not everybody ended up like Philip, going in response to the Lord and then settling in somewhere like Caesarea. Um, Barnabas, 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 Barnabas was um, one of the other early Christians. He was a Levite. Um, he was a very generous man. You can read about him in the early uh, chapters of the book of Acts. But he was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. Okay, it was another base church. The scripture tells us that there was an Antioch where followers of Jesus called the way were first called Christians. Quite a significant place. So in Acts chapter 11... He is sent to Antioch, and at this stage, the apostle Paul had already become a Christian. But people were afraid of him, okay, because he was killing Christians initially. His name was Saul. He was, you know, pulling people out of their homes, getting them arrested. He didn't like Jesus' followers, but then Jesus intercepted, and, he, and he, um, he'd come to faith. And when Barnabas went to Antioch, it says he went to go fetch Saul. He was the one guy who was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not afraid of this Saul guy. He went to go fetch him and brought him to Antioch, and it says they were there for one year. So it was like this short-term assignment. And in Acts chapter 13, so that's from 11, two chapters later, you see that the two of them, Barnabas and Saul, they were set apart and sent off. So they were, you know, Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch, Then he went to go fetch Saul, brought him back. They spent a year there. And then in one of their services, it says they were set apart and they were sent off to do some ministry on the road, to go plant some more churches. And it's Barnabas and Saul. And this is an amazing thing. Then a leadership transition happens. 
And before you know it, it's now Saul and Barnabas, or later Paul and Barnabas. Same guy, Saul and Paul. So there was this leadership transition that took place. And they went on, and in Acts 14, they tell us that they appointed elders, or pastors, in every church that they planted or visited. And then it's amazing, Acts chapter 15. All right, so now we're four chapters down the line from, from Acts 11, where Barnabas was sent. It says, again, that they were set apart to, to head, their, you know, head off again, Paul and Barnabas. And it says, other leading men were set apart to join them. So it wasn't just stay and go. Then it was saying to other people, come, come, come with us and, and go on, on, on route. So can you see that this is like there's a lot of movement happening as the gospel advances. And then Paul and Barnabas, they come back. And they're there for a while again, and then they want to do sort of a tour. They want to go visit the churches that they had planted again. And unfortunately, those two started arguing over who to take with. Another come and go moment. And Paul's like, no, 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 I don't want to take John Mark. And there was some kind of reason. And, uh, and actually, Barnabas ended up taking John Mark, and Paul ended up taking a guy called Silas. You know, remember Paul and Silas, they were the ones who were singing in prison and the prison doors broke open because actually Paul and Barnabas, they went their separate ways. So they're still going, but it's like, okay, you go there and I'll go here. And look, John Mark came through, all right? John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark, okay? So even though they disagreed on it, John Mark, you know, he's still a hero in the scriptures. But can you see that there's like movement in terms of people staying, people going, people coming and going with, uh, people deciding to not go with some people, it's just so fluid. It's just, this is the way that we see, the trend that we see in the scriptures when it comes to leadership movement. And so as Paul and Silas goes on in Acts chapter 16, it's quite amazing. They pick up this young guy called Timothy. All right? So again, more people join them. Uh, Timothy, many believe he probably led the church in Ephesus eventually. This is what sort of church tradition tells us. And you can even see Paul, when he writes to Timothy, in the letter to Timothy, it's the pastoral letters when he writes to Timothy and Titus and other guys. And he tells Timothy in that letter, I want you to stay in Ephesus. And he gives him a list of what to look for in terms of leaders to appoint. And we know that this list that he had for elders or for pastors in a church was a pretty standard list. Because when Paul writes to Titus, another guy, the, the list is virtually identical. Okay, so, so he said, I want you to appoint elders. And it's quite interesting because... Again, why would he not write to the elders that he wrote to Timothy? Many people believe, I think Timothy led that church. So that's why he wrote to Timothy to say, this is how you should appoint elders, what to, what to look for in them. And, uh, and later on, even Paul says to Timothy, I, I want you to equip men who in turn can equip others, or equip leaders who in turn can equip others. So there's this, again, this uh, conveyor belt, this sort of, uh, industry of raising up leaders, a leader handing over what they t he learns from Paul, Timothy, and then he hands over to men, and then he says, it doesn't stop with you, I want you to hand over to others. So there's like four generations of leadership. This is what we see, this is how it works. It's this training track, this conveyor belt of leaders. So I want to just look at one passage in particular that I think captures just this stay and go tension that we see in the scriptures. Should I stay or should I go now? Well, let's see what Paul says about him, his time with, uh, uh, with the Ephesians. 
In Acts chapter 20, it should be up on the screen. We're going to read 20 verses, okay? So verse 17 to 37. So it's quite, quite a mouthful, but um, I'd love for you to journey along with me if you can. Now, from Miletus, he sent, this is Paul's, to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews. I need these, I realize. And maybe bring this up a little. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I mean, again, this is just Paul's commitment to doing the Lord's work. He's saying, look, I've been with you, but I can't stay. I must go. And he's saying, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. I know it's going to be. But I don't count my, my life of any value or precious because Jesus is more precious. And his message must go out in spite of the cost. It might come to myself. It's profound. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of, um, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. What? So he's, he's not even saying, yeah, I hope we'll see you one day. He's just like, look, just settle it. This is it. I love you, but I must go. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And then he says to those leaders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you, uh, uh, every one of you, with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are satisfied, uh, sanctified. It's like I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they kissed, they kissed him. So there was real affection there. They cried. The amazing thing is they didn't cry because Paul was saying, oh, I'm going you know, to have a rough time. They didn't, they didn't cry 
uh, you know, because of, uh, of, of any other reason other than verse 38, being sorrowful, sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And it hit hard. It hit them really hard. But for me, this is such a glimpse as to the, the joy and the pain of leadership. Uh, but it sets us up to make sense of what we did over the last two years when we said goodbye to Lawrence and Liz to plant a church. And when we, see, we said goodbye to Toby and Loretta to go and strengthen that church and ultimately transition and lead that church, you know, it was basically Lawrence and Toby for a season, and then it became Toby and Lawrence. You see? Like, these, these things, they shouldn't shock and surprise us. It's all over the Scriptures. And so these realities give us context for what I want to share with you today in terms of our leadership strategy here at City Gates. The first one is that we are bringing on new elders. We are going to bring on new pastors, new overseers. That term gets used interchangeably for the same office. In the scriptures, even as we read Acts chapter 20, he called the elders of the church, but he called them overseers. He said, shepherd God's flock, elder, overseer, pastor. Um, they are all the same. They're used interchangeably. And so we are bringing on a new team of elders. And our current uh, team of candidates, they've actually been journeying with us since 2020. We've included some guys in the beginning, and then the, the, it shrunk a little bit to a smaller group of guys up until now. Um, and that group of, of men, uh, I'll give them your names, Justin Persaud, uh, Brian Evans, Corey Adrian, and Ryan Legg. They have been journeying with us. Not that one yet, Liam. One back, please. They have been um, journeying with us. And as I said, they've been in our team, but not on our team. That's our strategy. Come alongside us, the way Paul writes to Timothy. Entrust to reliable men who in turn will be able to entrust to others also. So we've brought these reliable men alongside us in our team, but not on our team. Increasingly, we've, they've borne more and more weight. Hey, So over, over these last two years, you have seen guys preaching, leading confession, taking responsibility, more and more weight placed upon them. And in a sense, they've been functioning as elders alongside the official elders, Mike and myself, in an unofficial capacity. Okay, as we've recognized their gifting. And now we want to move forward to appointing them officially. As they've served faithfully, unofficially alongside us, we want to appoint them in an official capacity. And these are the names that we want to appoint. Now you can bring it forward, Liam. Next slide is Justin, Brian, and Corey, who we want to bring on. We want to recognize God's call on their lives. Um, the gift that God's given them, and we want to set them in place, and we want to not only give them a, a responsibility as we have, but give them the authority as elders as well. Before I move on there, the question you might have, because I mentioned Ryan's name, is why not Ryan? Okay, And I don't want you to come to the conclusion that it's because Ryan is single. That's not the, 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 the reason. Although, let me just tell you that the Scriptures do have a bias if you looked at uh, you know, 1 Timothy and, and Titus, the qualifications, they do have a bias towards married men and uh, men who are able to show and prove that they can manage their own households because the church of God is described as a household. And so it has a bias towards that. And certainly for Mike and myself, this has contributed to us looking at the scenario and saying, 
for Ryan, it's not a no, but it's a not yet, as we understand that particular dynamic. But Ryan, by his own admission, even as we've chatted as an, as an eldership team, he has said, listen, he understands, because remember I said it's not just responsibility. Hey, guys, would you do this? But it's the authority. There's a weightiness that comes with the office of an elder, of a pastor. And Ryan, by his own admission, said this is not a weight that he wants to carry alone. And you know, even as I talk about elders, I often talk about elders, elder couples, because we do believe in a husband and wife team. Even though the authority, the responsibility lies on the shoulders of the man, if, if a man is married, there is this sense that the wife loves and supports and sets them up and, and, and stands with them and shares that load. Ryan has said he does not want to bear that weight alone. And so I want to make it clear. It's not a no for Ryan. It's a not yet. He will continue to be an elder candidate on our team, continue to stay in our team as we're meeting as is right now. He's a very gifted man, as you guys know. He adds tremendous uh, uh, value to our church, and he will continue to play as he has been playing a vital role on our team. I just wanted to make that clear. So with the names that's on the screen there, what's next for, their, for those guys? Well, um, we'd like to move into an official probationary role. So like I said, they were sort of unofficially eldering alongside us. Now we want to make them sort of official, but there's this probationary season where we've let you know our intentions of bringing them onto our eldership team officially. And if there are no objections coming from yourself, now remember, we've walked two years, and I promise you this has been, I wouldn't call it grueling, but we have certainly done our due diligence as we've asked Christians, as we've observed their lives, as we've given them responsibilities and, and tasks, and we feel like we've done our homework, but the next piece of the puzzle is letting you know our intentions. And if there are no objections, and let me just make this clear, biblical objections, so go check it out. We've read Acts chapter 20. Some of them are in there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4 are the qualifications for an elder, for a pastor, for an overseer. And if you think that they are disqualified based on those biblical criterias, so it's not a personal beef you might have. You might not go, oh, I don't like the way that Corey brushes his hair. Or I actually don't appreciate the fact that he sometimes you know, leads worships barefoot or <laughs> with flip-flops. Sorry, that's not a biblical criteria, okay? That's just a personal preference, and, and it, 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 that's not what you're going to bring to us. All right, so for a couple of weeks... Um, we will you know, leave this news with you, and if there are no biblical objections, then we will appoint them and anoint them. And the Bible tells us that we lay hands on. We believe that, that what the Scriptures say is that the laying on of hands, there's a mantle, there's an authority that comes on. So yes, we appoint them, we recognize them, but as we lay hands on them, that there's an anointing that God gives them. It's a special moment, and that, that would be the official moment where we could say they're elders in our, in our community. And I want you to understand that eldership, the way that we appoint this, is not like we say, hey, would you be an elder? And from here onwards, would you act like Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, uh, and Titus chapter 3? No, that's not how it works. Sorry, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, and 1 Peter 5. Okay? You know the books. You, you can find it. It's not like we're saying, hey, now that we've asked you to be on the team, could you start living up to this? We, we, we have sensed that this is already in place. That's the reason why we feel confident to basically just saying, that you've taken care of the job, responsibilities. Here comes the authority. We recognize it's in place. Okay. 
So that's what's going to happen there. So that's our first, our first uh, uh, announcement. The second one is maybe a little more of a tender one. And that has to do with the Stunder family. My wife and I and our four children. Um, as many of you may know, we, um, we are in Canada temporarily. Legally, this is what it looks like. So even though we've been here nearly nine years, November 2014, it would be nine years of being in Canada. But unfortunately, the current work permit is going to expire at the end of April 2024. So 12 months from now, because that's actually when our children's permits expire. Mine expires in May. Tanya's expires next month. So she, this month, sorry. She's already got a bunny in the oven. Sorry, not a bunny. She's already got... She's already got a... I, I better... This is online. She's already got a... Per, I don't know. It, I just, it just came out. She, 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 she already has a permit in the oven. Okay? I know. The more I try and fix it, it gets worse. Hey? The point I'm trying to make... Is that these things come with expiry dates? That's the point I'm trying to make. And so, in these last nine years, we've actually had to renew our temporary residency permits at least four times. Some of us a few more times because of passport expiries and sometimes mistakes that um, the system has made and so on. Uh, and as I said, in fact, you know, most of us four times, but Tanya's got one already uh, in process. And so, with this big renewal on the horizon 12 months from now the feeling is just different and we know the feeling that's what i'm trying to say to you is that we've done this over and over again multiple times over the nine years and this one there's a sense that there's no peace when we consider doing it again and i did first share this unction these stirrings with mike last year in august saying man this time around we see it's coming we're feeling different and there's so many unknowns that accompanies that feeling, okay? But as we sort of wrestled with that feeling, it was October last year where we really felt God prod us and say to us, I want you to start letting go. Um, and it was tough to hear that from the Lord, but we must obey. And so we, you know, we've been discerning, this discernment process. We've, we've gone through it, and we've actually shared that with this elder and elder candidate team Two months ago, we shared this discernment process with them and um, felt that you know, there must come a time when we are going to share this uh, with others. And so we actually shared it with the uh, leadership team, um, you know, serving team leaders, community group leaders, and deacons two weeks ago. Uh, and this week, it's your turn. And the reason we're sharing it now, why are we sharing it now? Because you might go, well, there's still a year ahead of us. It's 12 months out. Um, first of all, we needed to share it with this elder team, the, the candidates. Because when we started the journey with them two years ago, I mean, the landscape looked very different for us. Like, it was just business as usual. But unfortunately, as things have changed and that we, they are still on this track to come onto the eldership team, we realized that we needed to share the news with them because for them to say yes to come onto this team would mean that this, if, 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 certainly if I am one of the reasons why they would say yes and I'm not going to be around, then they would have to have first right of refusal saying that changes things for us in terms of their faith for coming onto this team. So 
we, we had to share the news with them initially because of that. And of course, then we ended up sharing it with serving team leaders and community group leaders. And today is your turn. And so I would love to share, share with you very briefly. Unfortunately, I, I can't go into details, and I'm pretty sure we'll have meals and chats subsequent to this where we can fill in some of the blanks. But if we share the discernment process with them, I'm going to try my very best to let you in a little bit on our journey as well. Because figuring out God's will for something like this is, is tough. Uh, you know, some people say it's more, like, it's more like art. It's not like science. I wish it was like a scientific formula. This is how you hear God. A plus B you know, uh, equals C. But it's, it's, it's more of an art. And so, especially if you have to hear, not just for yourself, but you know that, you, that what God has for you impacts others. My wife and their children and impacts a church, each and every one. So, you know, I, I often think about um, how, how to discern God's will in, in various illustrations. I'm going to share a new one with you. I normally use an, uh, another one uh, of lights. But I was thinking about aiming at a target. Uh, old school way. So not new school where it's a nice scope, you know, a little cross. That's great. Old school way. Remember how it is. You've got a little V at the tip. If you shoot the BB guns or something like that, and, and, um, and then you have a little, well, it's the other way around. Maybe the V is over here and the, the little uh, pin is on, at the back. And the way, if it's at least set up correctly, the way you hit the target is you've got to make sure that the little line is smack bang in the middle of the V. All right? If it's to the side, you miss the target. And, and, and hearing God's voice is sometimes like that. There's these ingredients, and it's not only two. Sometimes it's a multiple things you need to align in order for you to feel like, okay, I think we're going to hit the target. And so in our personal lives, there's, there's the internal witness, the peace. It starts with that. That's, that's the first one. And then there's the prophecies and the prayers people pray. What God has said to us over the years, we, we collect them, we keep them together. And then there's the perspective that we get from others, close friends of ours, people who know us, who've journeyed with us. And then there's just the circumstances because we believe that God is sovereign and nothing happens that, uh, by, by surprise. Everything happens because God and His sovereign uh, um, wisdom has allowed it to happen. So, so there's the peace, there's the prophecies, there's the perspective, and then there's the circumstances. All of those things we feel like you know, when they lined up, there's a sense that we know where God wants us to aim, where He wants us to go. And so, yes, those four things have been in the blender for our Stunder family for a couple of months now uh, as we've discerned the will of God. But I want to maybe just look at, um, I've already shared with you the, the internal piece that, that started shifting uh, last year. But circumstantially, one of the, the things that's a real puzzle to us is our status here in Canada. As I said, nine years in Canada, and we are still temporary residents. And this certainly has contributed, maybe, to a little bit of the challenge that we've found ourselves over these nine years. A bit of a struggle as, as we've lived as if we are permanent residents. We've lived as, as if we were citizens, Okay. Like, you, you can, our conscience are clear, but in reality, we are not. We live like this is, this is it, but when you look at the circumstances, it isn't. There's always a leash. There's always a dead end that we have to revisit. And so we've been in this uh, legal, it's called the express entry pool. It's a pool that you go into. Uh, honestly, there's hundreds of, other thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in this pool as well. And then the government of Canada 
would select you if you have enough points and say you can apply for permanent residency. And we've been in that pool three times. And after 12 months, they kick you out and you have to get back in again. You have to write an English test to be in there and your English test expires every 18 months. And if that expires, they kick you out again. You have to write a new English test. So There's lots of complexities, but three times we've been in this pool and every time we've not been able to meet the criteria. Ironically, the one time we could have met the criteria, we were not in the pool, not because of our mistake, because of the government of Canada's mistake. The one time it was in the beginning of COVID when they needed to make their quotient of bringing immigrants in, and the Stunder family, the one time we had a shot, we were not in the pool. So again, we, we look at these circumstances and we go, Lord, is this, is this, is this the issue? And so we've, we've had to say, Lord, if our status changes, I and my wife, we were willing to revisit the peace thing, saying, Lord, if that is the thing, then let's, let's, let's see what it would take for us to get status. And so we brought in an expert. And we spent money on an expert assessing our family, doing interviews, looking at our profiles, doing all the homework. And they gave us a nine-page document of what it would take for my family to get status in Canada. And the conclusion was, we couldn't stay in Ontario. That, that, it would require us moving 12 to 18 months to... Of the you know, provinces and territories, only three were sort of viable options, but it would mean you know, uprooting our family, getting another job, or studying somewhere and then working. Again, studying would mean studying as an international student. You know what that would mean financially? I mean, I'm 44 years old. What am I going to study? You know, um, <laughs> there's just, there's, so, so the irony is, is that even if we did stay in Canada for the sake of residency, this is the reality. It would take us out of City Gates Church. It's like, okay, so, so we pushed on that door properly. We, do, we did our due diligence, and even so, it means that it would remove us out of this community. And of course, for various practical reasons, that just doesn't make sense for us. The, the, you know, the, the opportunities before us to get status, we can talk about those kinds of details, but it just does not make sense for us to do that. And many of you guys have been asking the question, so what's going to happen with Liam? You know, he's graduated, you know, where's he going to study? And, uh, and, and, and it's, been, it's been awkward because that's one of the complexities of my family is that my son is a foreign national and there is no way that any of our children can benefit from our nine years here in, in, in ways different to my wife and I. They would have to go through exactly the same process. Study, get a degree as international students, you know, get into the pool. There, there, there's no shortcut for them either. And so with some of these questions that have come our way, um, it just has also felt like practically we can't sit on the news for much longer as people are starting to ask us about the next chapters that's ahead for our children. And we know that this particular comp complication affects the future of our children. It's just, and as, we, as we've brainstormed, we realize, man, we need to... We need to actually start sharing the news about what we sense now sooner than later. And so I know this may sound like bad news to some of you, but, but as I've painted a biblical picture of what leadership looks like, I hope it's only sad news. In, and again, I hope it's sad news. I'm not going to presume that, <laughs> that you, know, you like or love us. But um, it, this is not bad news. And again, we've got a track record of where we've sent out leaders before. This is what we do as a New Testament church. We don't measure 
our, our, our success by our seating capacity, but actually by our sending capacity. That's an old school New Covenant Ministries line. It's just, somebody, it's just a line that just aligns itself with the New Testament philosophy of leadership, is that, that we raise up and release. And so, of course, there is this question of like, well, where would the standards go? Uh, you know, and that's a, it's a valid question, but there is another bigger question that we first would like to address this is what will happen, who will fill the void, who will, who will take over, who will, ta- you know, what will, who will step into that space. And I'm not saying there, there is no answer in terms of where the standards would go, what, what would be ahead of us, what would we do. But please can I just ask you to understand that um, it's a complicated prospect that's ahead of us. And so please don't ask us. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? We will tell you once we know. Okay, I promise we will. But, but that's not the question that we'd like you to bombard us with right now. If, if we could ask you to just hold back on that, let this news settle and simmer. And yes, there are some possibilities, and eventually they will become probabilities for my family. But until there are probabilities, please don't, don't, um, don't expect us to have a, an easy answer. There is no answer, so hang 10. We'll let you know when there is. Okay. So in terms of the question about the future of city gates, we can go to that next um, slide there, um, the future strategy. The, the, the two options before a church uh, would be an external appointment or an internal appointment. Okay, let me explain that. An external appointment is pretty much exhibit A, m- me. I was an external appointment. Okay. Uh, I came in from the outside, not just the outside of, of, of uh Ontario, outside of Canada, actually outside of the continent. And uh, this can happen quickly. I think our process was about six months, hey, Mike? From when we found out that you as a church were looking for a leader, and, and your scenario internally wasn't an option. External was what you, uh, is where you looked. And you had some relationship with what is now called Advance, the, the, the group that we are partnering with. And, and six months later, I showed up. So it can happen very quickly if it's an external appointment. But then once that person arrives, that process of transition is quite slow, actually, because nobody knows that guy. And it takes time. Relationships, they're not McDonald's meals. It takes a while to get to know somebody. And so for us, it took about maybe two or three years before we could make big changes because only then would you trust us. We've, we've been around long enough. So it can happen quickly up front, but then once you're in the leadership seat, Whatever you do from then on, so you have to, we have to work quite slowly. That's just a wise thing to do. So that's an external appointment. But then an internal appointment um, is, I think, number one, first prize for any church. It's, it's the best way because it's somebody from within that community. And secondly, I also believe it's a real possibility for City Gates Church. Given the caliber of leadership that we have in this room, this is not outside of our reach. This is not an impossible target to aim at. But this internal process happens a little slower. And the reason is, is because discipleship takes long. <laughs> it, we, we, our, in our movement, we do value discipleship to the extent that we don't put resumes out there and just interview anybody off the street. We keep it within the family because we do feel like the church is a family and children grow up and are trained in a home. They're homegrown. But if they're homegrown, it means it takes a little longer. And, but the wonderful thing is, although they leaders from the inside, they may have credentials, but they certainly come with credibility. 
If it's a leader from the inside, there's credibility because they are known and they know. And so, yes, it's a little slower raising up from the inside. But once that leader's in place, he can move immediately because they're known and they are trusted. Whereas a leader from the outside would have to go really slow and earn, I guess, the right in a sense to, uh, to move, make big decisions. And so uh, I believe an internal appointment is possible for our church. And so what will happen, therefore, once I transition out of leadership? And again, there's 12 months ahead of us, but that's the end date. End of April is like when the government says, okay, out the pool, you know. Um, obviously, that's the, the, the final thing. But re in reality, we're not going to, you know, it's not going to be on a Tuesday and on the Monday we're going to go, all right, let's pack up the office. Like we might probably have to plan a little bit before that, okay. So there'll be a, a season where we would transition out. It just makes sense, like an off-ramp in a sense. So what will happen once we transition out? And the answer is team for a time. And this is the best I could come up with right now. And uh, Mike and I, we actually sat down, we talked about this. You know, we've still been functioning as an eldership team, the two of us. And so we, we, we kicked this idea around. And I, I, I came to Mike and said, I had this thought about a team, like any sports team. When there's a captain and the captain gets injured or he needs to get benched or something, as soon as the captain's out, it would be foolish to stop the game and to give up because every team player knows it's the part it's supposed to play. That's, that's, that's how good teams function. It's not all hinged around, around a sort of star player. And I know there's some sports that are like that, but I don't think it's best practice. A proper team sport, is, is the strength is in the team. And so um, I said to Mike, hey, if that's true, and you know we have a real value as a church. I often introduce myself as the guy who leads the team that leads the church. We believe in team leadership. When you comb through the New Testament, you'll see team leadership is, 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 the, is the norm. A plurality of elders, a team of elders, never a lone ranger, never a single pastor. And so I said to Mike, hey, man, what about this? Mike's like felt exactly the same thing. There was a sense that God has been speaking to him and speaking to me. And so and we realized that if that is the case, actually, we could probably share our news sooner. The pressure to only share our news when there's somebody that we could name uh, in our place is off when we, when we feel that actually the strategy God's given us is to step into a season of team. And so if we feel uh, that we can do that, first of all, because this church has functioned as a team leadership. When I went on sabbatical last year for three months, remember? Came back and there's still a church. <laughs> because this is an amazing team of leaders, not just elders, elders and deacons and, and all the other people, serving team leaders who play their part. And so this can happen. This can happen. And we trust that as you move into that season of team for a time that internally, the first among equals is a term that we like to use. It's like, yeah, all the leaders are equal, but there's somebody in front leading that team that naturally that leader would bubble to the surface, that it would be recognized by most. That'd be a sense that, that, that everybody senses, absolutely, this is the person that God wants to lead. And there's a sense that they feel it and the team feels it. That actually that team for a time allows for that to happen, for, for them to emerge from within. And that would be done in partnership with trusted voices in our advanced movement. 
We've already reached out to a couple of guys that are willing to, in a sense, hold our church's hand, hold our leadership team's hand until that uh, person is recognized uh, and it's affirmed. They kind of will help broker that process. And of course, I am happy to play whatever role I must play. Maybe there is a sense that I I'm still here, but I transition as a team member and there's some perspective that I'm able to give. Or maybe it happens, you know, I, when we pack up and find ourselves in our next assignment, that actually then there's a, there's a, a, you know, a, a partnership that happens without me completely. But again, we're a team. We make these decisions as a team. It's not me saying this is how it will be, but we do this in consultation with others that we trust. And so, yeah, I will move from captain to perhaps more of a coach initially on the side. And so, yeah, I will still be present. You will feel my presence, but you will feel my presence perhaps differently. Maybe it will be from captain all the way back to consultant. Who knows? Whereas like when we need you, we'll call you. Maybe that will be the case. Again, we, we would decide this as a team, but I trust that it will never be uh, where I am no longer a next of kin because I'll always be a brother you know, and, 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 and our, you know, this church will forever be in, in us. It's just like, that's just the reality. So I think whether it's coach or consultant, it will always be next of kin. Hey, please. Yes. <laughs> and so you're family in that sense. But as I said, this is the strategy that we sense. So you, you could rest secure that even though we broke the news that, hey, guys, it's not going to be forever with Tan and I. And these are the reasons why, that you are fortified knowing that there is an incredible leadership team here that can hold the reins and that God is faithful to raise up a successor from within our community. And that will be recognized and affirmed, I'm not going to say by all, but certainly by most. Certainly by most. Trust that that's, that, that's how good God is. He's so faithful. This church has seen multiple leadership transitions. The incredible thing is, is the guy that led this church prior to me is still here. Mike is not going anywhere. At least he told me that, you know. Jesus is not done with it. He's not done with this church. So hopefully it's only sad news. Not bad news. And so the final question I would say is that maybe you say, but what if there isn't a leader that bubbles to the surface? What if, what if they may be, but they feel like not yet, not ready? Well, we still have the safety net of being part of a movement like Advance. And again, remember, I came to this community as a result of that. And so we have this benefit that if our strategy somehow does not play out, because, you know, this is a sense that it's, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. And we're in faith stepping forward. But if it doesn't, doesn't work out, we still know that there's a safety net of an external appointment in our movement. Our movement is way bigger today than it was nine years ago. And so, but again, that's, for me, that's not even on the table as of yet. Because I have such faith for the strategy that God's given us moving forward. Okay, so details to be worked out. Details to be worked out, but we can trust Jesus, eh? Absolutely. Wow. All right, there's four minutes spare, and I would love to pray. Is that okay? Yeah. Is that okay? Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand?
And maybe I'm going to ask uh, certainly Mike, but if the other um, elder candidates would like to come and just pray as well. Just grab the microphone. It's somewhere here. Here it is. And uh, yeah, just weigh in some prayers of faith. I'll start it off and you guys can continue. Uh, but let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for City Gates Church. She is part of your bride. And you are so committed to her. You are faithful. You're a God that would never leave us nor forsake us. You are preparing your bride for that day when you will return. And so we can trust you. We can tr entrust her into your hands and we can entrust her into the hands of the leaders that you raise up in a community. They are like, um, like, like groomsmen that, that come alongside you and prepare your, your bride. They are like bridesmaids. Make sure that this church stays in love with you and keeps you in their sight. We can trust you. We can trust you. We thank you for this church and for its history. But ultimately, Lord, I thank you for its future. I thank you for the, sea, the part that I've had to play in the future of this church. I'm so thankful, Lord, that it's not over. There's still months ahead. Uh, but, Lord, even beyond that, I, can, I, I trust you. There is a glorious future ahead for City Gates. With such faith, we stand here in agreement. We're saying yes to a God, as we heard in our confession, that keeps his promises. When you say yes, it's, it's it, that's it. It settles it. We trust you, Jesus. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for how you've just led us as a team to this place where we can share the strategy with such confidence. You're so good, Lord. We honor you. We love you. Yeah, I'm just uh, reminded you've ref uh, Vic's reference First Peter 5. Um, let me just read what it says here. As the, this is the admonishment to elders. Um, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. This is the charge to elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so I have two prayers. One is that God will make this eldership team true shepherds that will uh, continue the role of shepherding the flock, which is our responsibility. And my second prayer will be for direction for the standers who have faithfully served this church. And um, it's a kingdom moment, and we just get to experience this kind of kingdom moment. Not bad, but sad, I think, is a, is a good way of saying it. So I'll pray two separate prayers, and then whoever else wants to jump in. So, Lord, first of all, for this church, um, <clears throat> Lord, we count it a privilege to shepherd the, the church of God, which is, in our, which is our responsibility, um, not for... Not for uh, corrupt gain or there's nothing in it for us other than we're looking past the responsibility to one day that seeing the chief shepherd appear and uh, and, and us receiving that crown for our, our role here so 
I'm asking that you would raise up us all as shepherds again to be selfless, uh, to tend, nurture, fold, guide, and guard the church of God, which is our responsibility. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us a great church, a strong church, a great sheep. Help us to honor you in how we handle the sheep. I want to thank you also for Vic and Tan and the kids and their amazing love and service to this church, which is still going to continue. But we thank you, Lord, for selflessness. Thank you for being full on in this, in this journey, for loving the church, for pouring into the church. And we, we trust, you said, the footsteps of a good man and woman are ordered by the Lord and you delight in their way. Trust that you will be leading specifically, that those sites will be lined up when it comes to next steps, and there will be a, a peace and a confidence uh, in this next leg of their journey as well. So we just declare over city gates and over Vic and Tan and their family, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, Father, we just thank you um, for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are so constant. And we thank you that through the years of transition that uh, this church has gone through, God, we have never had gaps. But uh, by your spirit, God, we have always been able to fill them because of the faithfulness, not just of you, God, but because of the faithfulness of the men and women and the boys and girls that call this family their home. So, God, we thank you, Lord, for good stewardship. We thank you for the faithfulness of these people. And Lord, we just thank you that the church is not entrusted to one person or one group, but it's entrusted to all of us, God, to carry this forward. So, Lord, us, we may be sad because we are losing a beautiful and wonderful family. God, we are excited for what you have in store for the future of City Gates Church as we represent you uh, in every area that we go in this community, in this city, in the places that we work and go to school. And God, we just give you praise and thanks because your work here is not done yet. And so God, we, as we just look ahead and look forward to the next chapter and the next season that you have in store for this church, God, we just pray that we would fully trust in you, that our steps would be ordered by your spirit, oh God. And that uh, even as we continue through transition, that more people, more leaders would continue to raise up in this place. And God, we ask for souls. Lord, as we continue to go out and preach and share the good news of what you have done for us, Father, would you just continue to do what only you can do, and that is turn people from darkness into light. And Lord, we just pray that this community would be a part of the ever-growing kingdom of God as we represent. So Lord, will you help us to represent you well as we continue to move forward in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, Vic and Tanya and the four kids. Um, thank you for the gift that they have been to this family. Uh, Father, I just pray that they would continue to hear your voice and hear your love for them as they move through this, uh, just this 
continued time of discernment. I pray that uh, they would always remember that no matter how much of an outsider this process with the Canadian government may, may have left them feeling that that is not the way you treat them in your kingdom. Uh, that they are all the way inside. Uh, there's no way in which they're on the outside with you. And I pray that they would, they would feel that. I pray that uh, their four kids would feel that um, as they continue over the next year and uh, as they move uh, to another place. Father, I thank you for uh, the Stonders' uh, simplicity and godly sincerity. Uh, that for them, their yes has been yes, and their no has been no. And that we've been the, the beneficiaries of that. Thank you that uh, for that faithfulness, that they have done well with that, and that you've given that to them. And Father, I just pray for the eldership team, uh, just as they receive this trust, to lead this community, uh, that you would protect them, that they would, you would give them unity, that you would give them peace, that you would give them humility and vision, and uh, that you would protect this community from wolves, uh, that they would be kept out, and if you let them in, that they would be recognized, and that your name would be lifted high through that experience. And Jesus, more than anything, I, I pray that you'd grow this church, that you would, you would uh, grow us in wisdom and love and truth. Uh, the Apostle John, that he, sa he said that he had no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. I pray that that would, that would mark our community, that we'd be a community that walks in the truth, and that that walking would look like love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you will be faithful to us and so that we have nothing to fear. We look forward to what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, even when we don't understand your plans or why you're doing things, we thank you that you are faithful. Um, we're on this side of a, of a transition. We, we're kind of looking at it in the future. Um, and God, we just pray that in the future, when we are past that date, we'll be able to look back and just be like, man, before that moment, we were so sad, but now we see, God, you are so faithful. And this is part of your plan. And at this point, we're standing on this side of it in, in time, going, man, we don't understand. We don't, we don't want to lose Vic and Tan. You know, we love having them here. Um, but God, we know that this is part of your plan. We, we heard stories from the New Testament of, of people being sent and people being sad about it. But now we stand here today, 2,000 years later, because that was actually part of your plan. And so, God, you are advancing your church. You are building your kingdom on earth. As Mike said, we're praying that your kingdom would come. And sometimes we don't like how that looks. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. But God, we just, we just stand and we just say we trust in you. We just say we trust you. Even when we don't see it, even when we're not sure, God, we just look, we can look over our shoulders and see how faithful you have been and then we can look forward again and say, no, we know that God, that you are faithful. And though we don't know, we still trust. This is, this is our faith in you, Jesus. We know that you are a faithful God and we can put our faith in you to lead us forwards.
Um, I just also wanted to encourage City Gates. It was sort of a funny thought that I had um, of this sad news, not bad news thing, is I had embraced that actually previously of, um, you know, this, I've been at the church a long time. We've seen a number of people that have been sent out. And uh, I was always like, it's okay. This is part of God's kingdom. It's fine, you know. But uh, I think I swung the pendulum too far, and I wasn't embracing the fact that it's like, oh, I was actually, I was losing friends. That was a sad moment, you know. So I just wanted to encourage you to, like, balance that of being like, it's okay. This is part of God's plan. But it is, in fact, sad news. Let's, let's not forget, this is sad news, you know. This is really sad news, but it's also part of God's kingdom. Let's not, let's not miss that tension as we go forward. The other thing I just wanted to encourage you, I had this funny picture. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie where the guy stands up. He's like, I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. And they all stand up and they're all Spartacus. And just thinking about like in the New Testament, it says that we are all priests. You know, we talked about this earlier. We're all leaders. Um, and so I've just seen, again, in the history of City Gates, like just this church consistently step up in terms of generosity, in terms of coming around people. Um, just recently, we had a person that lost their mom and it was just like, Oh, it's so encouraging to see this community just come around, you know? And so I just want to encourage you, City Gates, as this family is going through probably a very interesting upcoming year, please come around them. Please do what you do best, City Gates. Come around this family. Step up. I am Spartacus. You know, I am City Gates, if that makes sense, you know? Just just do what you do best. So. Yeah. Yeah, God, we just thank you so much that... Um, you are the leader of this church. You're the head of this church. And so even though it might look like leadership transitions and people being sent out, Lord God, there's only ever been one leader of this church, and that's you. And so we thank you that the fir- that offers such a firm foundation and that no matter what storms may come, Lord God, if we are built on that foundation, that is a rock. It is not sand. <laughs> it is a firm rock. So God, we just um, I think it just add to that um, that sadness that <laughs> yes, these are our dear friends who are being sent out, and so allow us to grieve <laughs> with that with that news, um, and just embrace that because we grieve when we when we lose uh, and loved ones when we see them go for a time, and uh, but do remember that it is only for a time. We may never see them face to face here again but uh, do remember church that there is a, a greater hope set before us <laughs> when Jesus returns hey um, so God I just pray that while we are here Lord God that our mission still remains the same that we want to see your kingdom come here and Lord God that that would just be the lifeblood and the mission of this church no matter no matter what you know, eldership looks like here. So, um, yeah, I just want to pray that over us, Lord God. And uh, I want to pray over the plans that you have set in front of the standards, that you would bring that into focus for them, to give clarity, to give peace, um, or just for what the next uh, journey starts to look like. Um, yeah. Thank you. You are good. <laughs> you are good. And so we just trust you. Um, thank you, God, for always being faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. You can. I'm just going to yell it, actually. If that's, Yeah, I was going to tap, and I was like, ah, everybody's on stage. So I'm just going to come out in faith. Um, 
So <laughs> we've been obviously chasing through the New Testament and kind of the, the transitions, but I want to take us back to the Old Testament. Um, I just felt this planted in me this week, and so feels very fitting. Um, so First Chronicles 22, when David is actually handing the reins over to Solomon, um, it talks about, uh, I'll just going to read it. So David said, my son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the church, or the temple, uh, is still to be built for the Lord, and it must be magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. And so David collected a vast amounts of building materials before his death. And then it later goes on, and David specifically speaks to Solomon, and it says, Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow the directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding as you may obey the law of God and his rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you clearly obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and lose heart. I think that... That's good. That's good, man. Yeah. It's brilliant. Uh, Brett, that's... That's part of our SJT readings, our Seeing Jesus Together. And if you look in my Bible, you'll see that, that I took note of that particular one. I, I don't claim to be David in any way. Um, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not planning on dying either. But I did, I mean, there was a real, so, you know, I want to affirm that just absolutely. The Lord in that moment said, yeah, this is a time where we are making preparations for the next season. So spot on. Thank you for your courage, bud. Yeah.